Hey kids, it's another episode of your favorite weekly podcast dedicated to the power of women's wrestling. We call it Grit and Glitter. This week, we are talking about the crazy weekend of wrestling out of Los Angeles. There was The Collective, there was WrestleMania, there was NXT, there was ROH, there was other assorted shows as well. We got a bunch of people on the show to talk about a bunch of different things. My name is Harley Vasquez, and I'm joined by Emily Pratt. Hi, it's me, the Emily who is not a host of this show. The other one. But I've been on it before. You, yeah, um, tried two years ago. Oh, two years, yes. It has been over two years since we've had our Hollywood correspondent, Emily Pratt, back on the show. In in days of yore, I was the Hollywood correspondent. (laughs) Way back on Talk and Honor, and then on the early days of Grit and Glitter, we were very thrilled to have you back. Emma's... Emily, number one, is very sad that she cannot be here with us. Oh, me too. <laughs> not not that it's any anything bad to just talk with Harley, but, you know, I I miss you, Emily, number one. <laughs> and I insisted you come back and join us because you are from L.A. and you were, this was your town showcase. Yes. Yes. And you went to a bunch of the shows. You went to TJPW. You went to DDT. ROH, and what am I missing? Uh, I went to Gringo Loco's World on Lucha also. Ah, yeah, so for you especially, it's like, uh, whatever. I don't want to see, like, the local California wrestlers. I can see them whatever. I want to see people from Japan. I want to see the people from Mexico. They don't come up here all the time. Yeah, well, there's, I mean, the local promotions did put on good shows, like, uh, prestige, the prestige card was really good, but it overlapped with ROH. And I went to ROH with a friend of mine who basically just watches AEW. So that was like the one show he wanted to go to. So I, but I was like, oh, I didn't see Aja Kong, but ROH was really fun also. And I'm guessing this is your first time seeing any TJPW wrestlers live. Uh, I have actually seen. Uh, Miu and Maki live at Prestige, which I realized I just said they're local. They're not. They're from elsewhere on the West Coast, but they run here enough that I feel like they're in kind of the slate of local promotions now, like an honorary local promotion. But anyway, yeah, yeah they're West Coast, which is local enough. Yes, local enough. But anyway, yeah, this is definitely the first time I'd seen a whole TJPW show. And most of the wrestlers on it I had not seen live before. So that was really, really exciting. Well, and there you go. Because the last time you were on this podcast was January 2021 for our Tokyo Joshi Pro Spotlight episode. Oh, my gosh. Wow, yeah. That makes sense now. That timeline adds up. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you went to those shows. You watched shows outside of – you watched some – on TV, on your laptop, WrestleMania, etc. Who's the MVP of the weekend for you, especially in terms of women's wrestling? Okay, MVP of the weekend for women's wrestling, I would say is of of stuff that I saw, it would definitely be Yuka Sakazaki because I saw her wrestle twice in one day. She wrestled the main event of... TJPW, uh, tag match, 
uh, teaming with Mizuki against uh, Maki and Miu, and they won the tag titles, and that match was awesome. And then I saw her wrestle Athena uh, later, like three hours later, maybe four hours later. And I do think the tag match was better, but it was also a cool match on ROH with Athena. Of stuff that I saw, it would be her. But overall MVP for women's wrestling. Who, like, did the most of the women? Maybe Maki Ito did more across the whole weekend. Yeah, none of the women were wrestling like a a speedball Mike Bailey schedule. Yeah, yeah. Like three times in four hours or anything like that. (laughs) Yeah, but other, like, Athena's performance was awesome. On WrestleMania, of course, like, the women in the women's title matches were awesome. Um, I also saw on Gringo Luco's World on Lucha, I saw Dolce Tormenta versus Sexy Star. Not that one, the new one with the same name. And I hadn't seen much of either of them before, so that made me want to see more of them. So that was that was the one time I was like... uh really like turned on to talent that I was not familiar with before as far as women's wrestling this weekend. Yeah. And that used to, maybe I didn't hear so much of that this year, but that used to be a big thing with kind of collective weekend is yeah. by the time the weekend was over, there was one kid you'd never heard of before. And now he's a star. Yeah. I think that was kind of like more of a WrestleMania weekend thing before <laughs> the collective happened. Uh, not that it's like the collective's fault, but I think definitely like pre 2019 WrestleMania weekend was more of a big event, but here like the really prolific people were like Speedball and Elijo de Vikingo, who both kind of, they both had their in the case of Speedball, like, come back to the U.S. big moments earlier. Vikingo, like, arrival. I guess not arrival because he'd been here before, but kind of, like, breaking out into the U.S. scene had already happened before WrestleMania weekend, so it was just like, these guys are continuing to do really well. Um, So, I mean, it was still great, but it was not on the level of, like, star-making that previous... WrestleMania weekends have had. Yeah, those two are the guys who have like put out three like solid independent albums that a lot of people love, but now they've got a radio hit. Yeah. That you like yeah. you can't go anywhere without hearing. Yeah. I think I definitely felt the like WrestleMania weekend momentum the most with uh Vikingo and Commander because I saw them wrestle on ROH. They were amazing. And then I saw them wrestle, not each other, but in separate matches on uh, World on Lucha. And they were both great. And they both very, like, audibly had, like, they were more over because of what they've been doing earlier in the week. And they both, like, got the pins in their matches. And it was like, you know, you could see the WrestleMania weekend (laughs) booking working for them on that show who did you go with to the tjpw show did you go alone or with a friend uh i like met people there 
who I knew, but I did not go with anybody. All the other shows I went with somebody, but that one I just was like, I don't know who I could bring to this. So I'll just meet people I already know there. And the people you um, met were already familiar with the with TJPW. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything about that show that jumped out to you or that like surprised you seeing getting to see like the full roster in person for the first time as opposed to on stream? Um, yeah, I think what was special about that show aside from just that every match was good was that it also was kind of like the first time DDT did a show here where it was kind of like they were just doing TJPW was just doing like their exact show that they would do in Japan and just doing it in the globe theater, which is like PWG's normal venue (laughs) uh, these days. And it was just like, okay, at the beginning, like up, up girls did a song, like the regular ring announcer was here. And then they just like went through the card and it was about two hours long, which was very nice, like moving right along. (laughs) And, uh, like it was a good mix of tag, mostly tag matches, uh, but with two singles matches in there. And there were the, oh, the American talent they had on there mostly had, I think Janai Kai had, had, I'm not sure if she's been in TJPW before actually, but like Wasteland War Party and Billy Starks had been there. Yeah, Wasteland just dropped the take titles. Yes, they just dropped the tag Trisha title. Trisha Dora had done a tour not too long ago. Oh, yeah, and Trisha Dora. Like, they, so they were already, like, part of the the TJPW universe. Uh, as opposed to, like, I saw, like, the DDT show this year was kind of, like, half DDT, and then half the matches kind of felt like the type of match you would get if you were at an indie show and they were like, Oh, and this person is here from DDT and it didn't really feel like a DDT match that much. So the difference between like a new Japan show and a new Japan in America show. Yeah, kind of. But TJPW really felt fully like the TJPW experience, like fully doing their thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was like our act is here. Well, yeah, because back in, I guess, in the pre-streaming days, what you'd see on the indie circuit was, like, two wrestlers would have, like, a match down pat. They would know each other, like, back and forward, and then they would sell that match to and just go town to town doing that match every night for, like, a couple of months and just polishing that match up. And then, and sell, yeah, sell that match. Bookers would say, like, oh, yeah, we definitely want this, we definitely want that match in our promotion because that one's great. And you don't get that so much anymore. Now it feels like so many indie shows are promoted largely on first time ever. For the first time ever, X versus Y, instead of like, oh, you know what's a great match? Janai Kai versus Jordan Blade. Let's run that back. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, uh, But what's interesting is like with uh, T- DDT and TJPW doing uh, like more international stuff over the past couple of years, I think each of those companies has had kind of a traveling match, which for TJPW, they've run 
Maki Ito versus Miyu Yamashita in like several countries. And uh, for DDT, I think it's Kanosuke Takeshita versus Yuki Ueno, which was the main event of DDT Goes Hollywood. And it's kind of like, okay, if you've seen our company before, you've seen it, but now you're seeing it live. Yeah, and this was TJPW's first time running in America, right? They're supposed to, I think, a couple years ago, but the pandemic made that not possible. Yeah, they were supposed to have their first show in America the year that all WrestleMania weekend got, like 2020, the year there was no WrestleMania weekend because of the pandemic. Right, so yeah, this is a big step for them because... Outside of stardom, what other Joshi promotions have run like a full show in America? Yeah, I don't think anybody has. And it's kind of funny that stardom did not have a show. Like if there were two promotions, you'd think like this would have been a good time for them to do a show on WrestleMania weekend. It would have been PWG and stardom, but Neither of them had one, but I don't know what what's up with the stardom schedule. So maybe like stardom. Yeah, they had the Cinderella tournament happen this weekend, but it's like it's WrestleMania. It's planned out far enough in advance. You can work it into your schedule if you want. The glitter, the glitter and glitter group chat is just like every couple of days. We're like, what? Why are we not getting? Stardom is owned by Bushi Road. So why aren't they doing more? Why aren't we seeing stardom people in AEW? Why aren't we seeing them at Forbidden Door? Why aren't we seeing them at the Impact uh, New Japan Multiverse of Madness? Why aren't they running a show? Like, Why isn't Mercedes Monet wrestling more than once every four months? Yeah, well, I mean, it makes for... I To me, I think it makes sense like that she's doing this kind of reduced like schedule as part of like what she's doing now it's very like a big star type of yeah she's in she's in elton john mode (laughs) yeah and like yeah so i don't i think that makes sense for her but yeah like even if they couldn't have a full show abroad i think it is kind of surprisingly stardom didn't send anybody to like the impact new japan show or just to like do some or, like, you know, there was, like, the TJPW tag match on WrestleCon, the WrestleCon Super Show. They, like, Stardom didn't do anything like that. And, like, I'm sure they could be on PWG or something like that, but they just, like, don't do that. But, I mean, at the same time, they are, like, very successful and have only become more successful since getting bought by Bushiroad. So it's like, maybe they don't really feel the need to do that right now. Yeah. I guess they've reached the, the WWE, you know, they are the WWE of Joshi wrestling in that they're the biggest and the polished and the most well-known. And so I guess they've reached that level where they're like, we don't need to collaborate with other companies. Like we are, we've got our own spot, which just means more opportunities for, companies like TJPW to step up and take advantage of these situations. Miyu Yamashita is everywhere these days. Yeah. She's on everything. Yeah. She's going to be on Honor Club this week facing Athena. Yeah, yeah. 
like saying, you know, oh, starts weird startup isn't around. There's like still so much like Joshi wrestling saturation in the American indie scene right now, which is and AEW, which is cool to see. I'll say overall, the weekend was really fun. I did like a staycation and used some of my PTO <laughs> to go to shows on Thursday and Friday. So I was in like great spirits every time <laughs> I went to a show. And I know people are, there is like the WrestleMania weekend discourse where it's like, why isn't as a, why isn't it as important as it used to be? Why aren't the Indies as good? But honestly, there were still like so many good shows where I went to a bunch of them. I am not caught up on everything that was good. Like it would be physically impossible to have gone to all the shows that were good. So there was definitely still like a good offering of performances and shows out there. So we'll see you in Philadelphia next year, right? Yes, I will be the Philadelphia correspondent next year. You're hearing it now. Okay, hello, Harley here, and I am joined at this time by your best friend and mine, M. Fear, and Hi. our new bestie, Lindsay Baker. Hi, Lindsay. What's up? <laughs> a rare, this is a special occasion, folks. This might be the first time Lindsay's been on the show not to talk about WoW. Yeah, I'm excited. It's not going to come. I didn't even see it today. There's more golf on, so I'm on a WoW deficit. We sometimes allow Lindsay to talk about things that are not wow. It's more that she sometimes feigns interest in things other than wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm learning about, like, um, boys can wrestle. Like, they don't have to just, like, put up sheets of drywall and, like, drive pickup trucks. They can wrestle, too. There's a lot of boy wrestlers. Yeah, you know, I mean, it blows your mind when you think about it, when you actually, like, you know, find out that there's this whole world of men's wrestling. We're here to talk about ROH Supercard of Honor. Em and I have been oof, talking Honor for many, many years now at this point. I feel like I just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like battle, battle wary, and we only have been talking on and off about ROH since 2018. Like, imagine if you were there from the very beginning, what Supercard feels like now. But I, I, I was confessing to Harley earlier today that, like, I compare every supercard or every major show to that MSG show, but especially when it comes to women's wrestling, because it's like <laughs> the best of times. It was the worst. And then it was like even the worster of times at MSG. So um, it's funny to think of like their high point, as far as their high profile point being a signifier of the end of the road for them, as far as like least decent storytelling. Um, and then we flash forward years and years and, you know, ownership changes and distribution changes and et cetera. And now we're here at this version of ROH's Supercard. And I got to tell you, I like this a lot better than, than the MSG show. Like just overall, I think this is this fits ROH. 
Yeah, we're still we're only like four or five episodes into this new run of ROH weekly shows on Honor Club under Tony Khan. So we're still getting a sense of like what is the roster? Who are are there? Because there are some people who are only on ROH, they're not showing up on AEW Dynamite or Rampage. Then there's some people who are definitely doing double duty. Claudio Castagnoli and Samoa Joe are showing up on both shows all over the place. So we're still kind of figuring out where things lay. So it's interesting where we have like a champion like Athena, who is very rarely on AEW. She's an ROH wrestler. But then we have someone like Willow Nightingale, who shows up here in the first women's match of the night on the pre-show, picks up a win while being heavily involved in like the main story over on AEW right now. So it's a real question of like, well, what's the future hold for Willow? Like, what does this mean? Picking up a win over Miranda Alize here on the pre-show, what does that mean? Is she going to be in line for another title shot against Athena? Is she going to do more in ROH? I thought she was over in AEW fighting with uh, NWO Lime. Wait, who is um who is she feuding with in AEW? Who who she works? She's teaming up with Sky Blue, and they're feuding with Soraya and Tony, and it's kind of like a three way thing because Riho's kind of on Willow's side too, right? But they're not officially sided with Britt and Jamie yet. They're like a third party. So basically, okay, the, the tension is coming down to those who were like people with large names at large companies outside of AEW who are now at AEW calling themselves the outcasts. With yes. Yes. Like they're the outcasts, but they're also high profile. And yeah. Well, and like notably talented and brought in with much fanfare. I don't know. Anyway, kind of muddy. Yeah. But, so they're the outcasts. That's Soraya. That's um, Tony. Both of them newly turned and Ruby who just turned at the last pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Versus, primarily it was like Brit, like Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker and like that faction. But like it is expanded now to include like, other quote-unquote homegrown talents including willow so willow's been hanging out with riho and sky blue like the ultra baby faces and they're they're against the outcasts so are jamie and brit but jamie and brit aren't really like officially with willow riho and sky yet in classic babyface fashion none of them are working actively together in a like cohesive way whereas the heels are all like you know the dynamite is a really good example ruby and and willow had a singles match ruby was accompanied by tony and soraya who ran lots of interference around the ring meanwhile willow the baby face is all alone i get that you are a heroic figure and you are trying to play by the rules but also it doesn't make any sense when you are actively feuding with a group of people not to have your girls on your side as well but it just it goes to show you like they're they're aligned, but there's still kind of a muddy connection as far as like why people are supporting one another. But it's a big role for Willow. Like she has been featured fairly frequently, like pretty much every week she's wrestling or she's on TV. So it's just interesting to have her featured here on this ROH card as well and pick be one of only two women to pick up a win on this ROH pay-per-view as opposed to someone like a Trisha Dora or some, I mean, some of these other people who are more ROH exclusive. Yeah, yeah. I thought, um, wasn't Willow doing stuff in ROH before she got signed in AEW? Yes. Yeah. She was okay. A, she was a part of that, um, like, that new women's division that, like, really was gathering momentum and steam after the tournament, um, just at, like, right before they went under 
Yeah, that's so weird why they don't kind of, like, pick up the pieces from that. Like, you think that would be easy pickings, like, and that could be even a storyline in and of itself. <laughs> like, well, But, hey, what do I know? <laughs> it's a larger issue with how poorly visioned the women's division at AEW is, um, because they don't really have a clear idea of who belongs where, aside from the fact that Athena has, has pretty much solely been an ROH now since becoming their champ, their women's champ. So like there are some people who are ROH specific and only ROH specific. Willow is one of those people that they can't seem to decide where they want to put her, but I didn't totally get why she was in this match tonight or match at Supercard. Other than she's a draw and people love her and that's legit. Yeah, so Miranda Alize, she was in the Maria Canales era of ROH, and she's made some appearances for ROH now. I don't think she's ever appeared in AEW, or if she has, it was like one time. So she's like firmly ROH. Athena, firmly ROH. Yuka Sakazaki, like AEW, like listed on the AEW roster, this was her first match ever for ROH, and I don't think we'll see a second anytime soon. This felt like a special, like, oh, Athena needs an opponent. That's find somebody for her yeah and i heard on the um commentary at one point they referred to her as like a tokyo joshi pro wrestler i can't even remember the last time she had a match in aew like i remember her early on like pre-pandemic when they were kind of doing like a bunch of joshi wrestlers but i can't really recall much after that i think they bring her over like once or twice I haven't seen Yuka over at AEW in a while, but she was actively a part of the women's division over there when they were first building up. Like she was on some of the major shows. I know that she was in some of the stuff like that prior to dynamite happening. Um, she was in like a couple of like big, like multi woman matches that had like uh, Joshi talent versus other talent. And um, yeah, I don't, but like, I can't, I couldn't tell you the last time I remember her being, over there, I, I still very much think of her now as a TJP wrestler that just, you know, does stateside appearances. Yeah, I mean, we saw similar things with Rio Mizunami. They had this whole tournament that Rio won, and then a month later, that was it. See ya. <laughs> oh, God, that tournament, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, part Choco Pro, too, because they brought Aja Khan, Kong back, which has been, like, a head-scratcher for me. Like, I thought she was going to be, like, one of those kind of features, like, maybe she wouldn't be it like a lot of matches, but kind of like how they were using Awesome Kong in the beginning. <laughs> like, I don't know. Again, like I would do it a little differently, but I don't know how this works. <laughs> I don't think they really know how it works. <laughs> um, Clearly. What, what does work though is that I'm I'm continue to be thrilled by the fact that uh, Miranda Alize continues to be part of ROH's women's division. I think um, having a wrestler with her both um, talent as portraying a heel and her like lucha abilities, I think really adds something necessary to a, the diversity in a women's roster. And so every time they utilize her, especially like for a, like a free pre-show for the pay-per-view, I'm really thrilled because I just, any eyes on Miranda are welcome. Yeah. Like even more so arguably than the AW women's division, it feels like the ROH women's division right now is a little bit of like, we don't know where we're going. We don't know who's going to be involved. We're trying to figure that out. The only thing that ROH seems to have down pat with the women's division right now is we've got Athena. She's our champ. And we'll figure out the rest going forward. But for now, it's like every week she's just going out and putting on a banger against somebody. And they're like, you know what? That's good enough. She specifically requested 
that she'd be allowed to defend against Haiyan at the TV tapings. And they said, okay, and they brought Haiyan in, they put on an amazing match. She had this match against Yukir, amazing match. This week on Honor Club, she's taking on Miu Yamashita. You know it's going to be an amazing match. I never saw much of Athena pre-WWE. Like, that was my introduction to her was NXT. I know she was on the Indies for many years. She did Shimmer. She did all sorts of places. I knew her best when she debuted as Ember Moon in NXT, and I loved her there. I thought she was fantastic. I thought her finisher was, like, wild. But this Athena today that we're seeing in ROH is, like, the best Athena I've ever seen. I, I absolutely agree. I, I absolutely I, I love. I was not sure about her when she first made her AEW debut. Um, her heel persona just, or um, rather, she came in as a face. And despite having this set up against Jade Cargill and that being very kind of cleanly defined, her her wrestling face never quite took in the way that she has immediately taken to wrestling as a heel. And by that I mean just like coming out full monster mode and I, I I'm living for it like it's just it's absolutely super compelling to watch she's great power moves and you know what I'm gonna say it right off the bat fuck anyone who says that she plays too rough it's clear that she is wrestling in that style her opponents are you know I, I'm sure it's all above board I'm sure her opponents understand what what's going to happen in these matches and I love that she's going full throttle with her aggression in these matches I couldn't agree more. Um, This was my first time seeing the new ROH product. So, like, the whole presentation she had, too, were, like, the the porcelain doll, I guess she's been calling, like, all of her opponents, like, porcelain dolls because she smashes them into pieces. Mm -hmm. Like, I loved that. Like, I caught another thing on commentary is someone compared her to Samoa Joe in ROH, like, back in the day. Like, I guess with that, like, ruthlessness and stuff. And I, I love how they're just, like, playing it up. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you can you can say who you want to fight and you're going to just, like, have this, like, creativity to just, like, do it there. There were a couple, like, camera cuts. Like, I wish the camera was, like, the, like there, she threw um, Sakazaki down at one point and then, like, turned to the camera to be like, I'm your goddess. And they cut, like, right in the middle of it and then mm-hmm. cut back to her. I was like, yo, come on. <laughs> what are you doing? But, yeah, like, I, this is kind of what I wish, like, Jade Cargill could do in AEW where she's this unstoppable monster. But, you know, we got Bill Goldberg. But maybe it's going somewhere else. I haven't watched it, but... You know, really a big fan of this and Athena. <laughs> That's a really interesting comparison. I know that it's different characterizations and they're playing these things differently. But like with Jade, there is power, but without the ferocity, there's power without the like aggression and the anger. It's just like it's like I have this power. I have this strength. I'm going to like beat you. But there's not like there is that like fury that is missing that you get so profoundly with Athena. Like, I feel like every time I'm watching her wrestle now, I'm watching her like work things out. Like this is, this is a living violent catharsis. We are getting to watch play acted out in front of us with, and I think the, the contrast to Jade is a really interesting one because Jade plays it so much more like collected, you know, you see her get flustered, but when it comes to wrestling in the ring, it's still, it's still studied in that way that somebody who's still rather new to wrestling has to, play because they have to keep it safe i have my notes she feels like she feels like a real threat when she's in the ring like i i put her on par with someone like moxley 
in terms of like she walks into the ring and you're like oh shit something's going to go down in this match and i don't know if in my opinion she's the strongest heel in aw and roh's women's divisions like who i'm like who else is that the outcast like they got their little spray paint and their like mean girl tactics i don't view that as like main event like i don't view them as dangerous they they're like you know troublemakers they're like graffiti artists and jade yeah she's like undefeated but she never gets a proper feud she just gets like random matches here and there and the short matches and i don't know jade's jade's like a like the undertaker or something to me like yes she's like tall and she's like she wins a lot of matches but athena's like a whirlwind like she's got the speed and the kicks and she'll hit you with a wheelbarrow german suplex on the floor she'll hit you with a trio of power bombs in a row and i'm just like there's there's no comparison with anybody else on the roster it's really nice to see her come into her own in this way um i think that a lot of people have turned heel in AEW and on the peripheries of AEW recently um obviously the the comparison to the outcasts is, is apt because all those women turned recently um but with athena like it just feels like it's coming from a genuine place like it feels the characterization feels authentic it feels real it does feel like a legit threat um and i think the fact that like she can make these moves look as brutal as they do and her opponents sell them as brutally as they can that's you know that's what gets everyone up in a fervor about like oh she's it's it's too it's it's too like she's she's shooting on these opponents it's too rough it's too it's it's too violent it's too etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like i think everybody's in control here but the way it's being played out it looks like it could lose control and that's a really really effective thing for an audience member for someone watching to to feel like that danger i um i missed this a little bit but when she was doing all of those matches i think it started kind of like an aew dark where she was like doing like the really hard hitting stuff because she was wrestling jody threat and if yeah, you that don't was the one that started see all this. the name yeah, yeah. If you don't see the name Jody Threat and you don't know her, you know, that implies that she might be kind of a dangerous character. <laughs> there are so many people like, oh, my God, that poor girl. It's like, no, dude, she's fine. Like, She's a professional. But it, it was the start of something beautiful. And I think that's great. <laughs> the only thing holding this back, this match back from being like, you know, four, five stars, whatever you want to call it. For me, was the fact that, like, I don't think anybody really thought Yuko was going to win here. She's not going to come in and win the ROH title in this moment. That's always hinders things a little bit for me. So the big question, obviously, going forward is, like, well, now what does she do? Who does she face in the future? Who could be a potential person to take the title off her or give her a real challenge down the line? It came out from the show... This was not on any AEW socials. This did not appear on Supercard of Honor on any of the official ROH cameras, but fan cameras caught in the front row the former Naomi of WWE in the front row. And after the match, as Athena celebrated, Naomi could be seen booing and giving thumbs down to Athena. Oh, I like that. I would have never pictured Trinity in ROH, but I did see she took pictures with uh, Jade Cargill and I think Big Swole and Tasha Steeles. I saw that. 
Yeah, she's confirmed on like with photos on her social media that she was there backstage hanging out and visiting friends and stuff. But the fact that fans got cell phone footage of her like standing in the front row at ringside and like in kayfabe reacting to the result of the match is interesting. That's all. It's just, just kind of interesting. I I mean, I want it like really bad. Hook it to my veins. Yeah, yeah, why not? Like, let's go for it. Like, that's the thing, I think, why I thought of the Jade comparison, because, you know, like, maybe, like, around, like, her 25th match, it was like, all right, like, we get, like, a couple good longer ones at pay-per-views, but when is it going to start to be, like, a challenge? Like, I don't want to see that same thing happen to Athena. And I think she'll bring, I think, like, with her bringing in people that she wants to wrestle, I think we're going to get an interesting, you know, maybe you'll start to see, like, a hard-earned win at one point. Like, there were a couple spots within her match where she did, like, that really, um, where she, like, fell back on to Sakazaki to pin her, and, like, to uh, Sakazaki had to grab the ring, or the ring rope. Um, Like, I love that sort of cockiness, and I think, like, it, it shows, like, you know, maybe we'll see, like, the tide change eventually, and it won't be, like, a stagnant, like, oh, here's Athena's 50th win. <laughs> Who knows how high it's going to go? Yeah, I, I deeply, deeply hope that they don't do that to Athena, because I just, I I don't think long streaks like this really work for everybody. I don't think they work, I, I don't think, I don't think it's working for Jade right now. I don't think, like, I genuinely think that you stall a promotions women's division or any division, honestly, if you if you continually just always default back to the same the same champ, especially if it's just like a series of feuds, like very short lived feuds. And there's no like long running development or story out of it Um, with Athena. Like they could there's any number of players that they can contrast her with, especially operating in this particular mode. So someone like willow would be really interesting because they are very opposite coins right now but they just yeah i don't know i i'm interested to see what they do moving forward i get a little concerned that there isn't something else like immediately in the like can for this because yuka was obviously a spot filler in this in that mode but uh i don't know uh give me give me naomi give me trinity (laughs) Hello, it's Harley again. I'm here and I'm joined at this time by Glitterati member Don Hallowell to talk about NXT Stand and Deliver. I still don't know what that means. I don't know. It just I just picture like all the wrestlers in like high school being forced to give presentations. <laughs> but we were here. We were in LA for NXT. I hadn't watched NXT regularly in a couple of years, but I read the reports. So there's a lot of these people on this card. Like I knew the name Tiffany Stratton. I knew the name Fallon Henley. I could not have picked them out of a lineup before tonight. But there were a lot of people here that I do really like as well, like former uh, British wrestlers, as we saw, really showing up on this one, Roxanne Perez, former guest on this very podcast. A lot of exciting stuff, including the f- very first televised match 
from The Rock's daughter. Oh, I was just, I had that on my notes to, like, ask you. Like, I didn't know if that was her first, like, I figured that was her first, like, big match. I didn't know if that was her first match, like, televised match at all. Yeah, I mean, she debuted in NXT, uh, I don't know, late last year. And has never wrestled, only hung out with uh, her little cult of friends. <laughs> so this is her first match ever. And that's why I was... For one thing, NXT doesn't usually have matches on their pre-show. Mm-hmm. Usually the pre-show is just video packages and talking, maybe a couple of backstage interviews, things like that. So I didn't know this was on the pre-show. I didn't know there was a pre-show. And I couldn't believe, like, this... This is the Rock's daughter <laughs> wrestling her first match ever, and it's, and an it's been a pretty big storyline throughout NXT too. Yeah, and they get a lot of TV time every week. These two, especially Chase U, so it's so weird for it to be on the pre-show and not advertised as being on the pre-show, like well ahead of time. And then she didn't. I mean, she didn't do much. She was in the match for what, forty seconds, maybe. But I mean, like she got. I think she got through what she needed to, you know, that she was like a powerhouse. Yeah, and against, is it Thea Hale? Is that her name? Yeah, Thea Hale, yeah. Okay, and she's uh, the typical, like, little plucky young girl. So most people are going to look like a powerhouse next to her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, clearly, like, small baby steps with the the now-christened Ava Rain. Like, this was her first match. Great, she wrestled a match. But, again, it was an eight-person tag where she's one of eight. She only had to do a couple of things. We'll see how long it takes now until she wrestles a traditional tag or a singles match. Is it going to be, you know, another five months before she wrestles another match? Yeah, I mean, if you keep her in um, in that group, you know, I mean, you might have her in, like, some matches where, like, she doesn't really have to do too much and like schism just interferes a lot and stuff like that. But I mean, I think it's good that they're bringing her along slowly. We've seen lately Shawn Michaels really deciding to go back and do um, remakes of some of his classic storylines. <laughs> we saw this with JC and Shiji Doman and their breakup. So I'm wondering, do we get the, you know, do we play out the schism for a little while longer, the whole summer or something? And we do the full like, Rocky Maya via root. Is rocking the nation of domination where she just like slowly starts taking over more and more, and then Joe Gacy is getting annoyed with her. And I mean, we already have a woman in charge over on um Ron SmackDown with Rhea, so why not? Yeah, so this this match was fine, I guess. You know, it was it it served its purpose. I know I don't watch regularly, so I'm coming into this somewhat cold, but I know people who really like sk- uh, like Chase U. I know people don't particularly think highly of the schism gimmick, <laughs> but they like Chase U. Chase U won. So I've always liked Joe Gacy from like his CZW days, so like I, and that's kind of like his character that he kind of played back then, so like I don't mind it at all. And Chase U wins. Duke Hudson officially, like, I don't know if it's a turn or if it's a it's a commitment, but it seems that he's babyface now, fully with the group. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here as a unit. And I really love Thea, Thea Howe. Um, of course, I am um, partial to her because she is a Pittsburgh girl. So, but um, she actually only had a few matches on the indies. One of them was against Raylan. 
Um, and she, um, yeah, I think she got signed like the week she graduated high school. So she's still very, very young. It's saying something when Roxanne Perez isn't the youngest person on the roster. Right. <laughs> when like Roxy has like a, a couple of years on her in terms of age and then like probably 10 years on her in terms of like <laughs> in ring. <laughs> exactly. So our next women's match on the card kicked off the main card. It was a five-way, unless I'm forgetting somebody, five-way ladder match for the NXT Women's Championship. Roxanne Perez defending against Indy Hartwell, Tiffany Stratton, Zoe Stark, and Lyra Valkyria, formerly known as Aoife Valkyrie in NXT UK, formerly known as Valkyrie in Pro Wrestling Eve. This one, we had the we had like the kind of interesting story where Roxy had a fierce battle with Mako Sanamura on TV, barely survived, managed to win, but collapsed afterwards, was stretched out, thought she was going to be stripped of the title. Instead, she came and competed here tonight, well, today, on the show. And that didn't really factor in at all. I thought that was going to be like a big factor in the match was the lingering effects of her, like, you know, just barely getting medically cleared and being in the hospital or whatever. I don't I didn't notice anything of her really playing that up at all during the match. And I don't think the announcers really even taught. Like, I I think I probably fast-forwarded through, like, the package or whatever. But, like, during the match, I didn't hear the announcers really talk about it at all. Yeah, so it was a weird setup to get us to this point. Like, they could have just had her come in and defend in a five-way ladder match without all that stuff. Since it didn't factor into anything... They can, t- I, I guess they can bring it up again on Wednesday and try to use it as an explanation as to why she's no longer the champ. But again, there wasn't a moment where there was a moment where there was a wrestler who was so exhausted that they couldn't climb the ladder, but it wasn't her. It was it was Indy Hartwell. <laughs> like I think, like storyline wise, it would have been like if we were gonna do a ladder match anyway. I think it would have been better to for Roxy to do kind of like um, Wesley did, which would be just like, I'll take on anyone, you know, kind of like that type of thing, rather than like, you know, her getting injured or, or whatever, and Shawn Michaels saying it's going to be a ladder match. You know what I mean? Again, it's sort of one of these things of like, well, why a ladder match? Mm-hmm. Why, why not just a five-way like Wesley had? Like, why do... What, necessi- what necessitated a ladder being involved? I'm guessing the ladder match would have been because she wasn't going to be in it. You know what I mean? Because they were going to strip her and then put it up for the ladder. That's what I'm... Yeah, but <laughs> you, historically, ladder matches have often been like, we're going to hang the belt above the ring because X wrestler kept getting himself counted out any anytime we try to do a straightforward match or kept getting himself disqualified or something. So we're going to do this where there's like no way of that happening here. Instead, this was just kind of like, oh, it's, hey, it's supposed to be your weekend. We want to do something fun. I mean, I'm not complaining. It was a great match. <laughs> yeah, cons- especially considering the inexperience of someone like Stratton. The rest of them are fa- fairly seasoned. Everybody else in this match has like indie uh, like credibility for sure. Lyra yeah. and Zoe Stark like, was Gigi's done like death matches. Before, oh, I so forgot Gigi. Gigi. Yeah, it was a six-person match. Yeah, I totally forgot Gigi Dolan was in it, which I don't know if that says anything. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't really do too much, except you know whenever she got um 
um, taken off the ladder by JC. You know, I mean, she had a, like a couple spots, but like, yeah, she wasn't really um, focused on too much because I guess the that she was basically there to extend her feud with JC. You know. Yeah, the two the couple of like small little th- things throughout the match was really nice, like the spine buster onto that Strand took onto the ladder, things like that. The big sort of ending sequence is Tiffany doing a forward flip off the ladder onto well, I think it was supposed to be onto a group of women at ringside. It really did not look like they caught her at all. No, that that looked bad. That looked a little bad because usually when they do that spot, like it's onto a table. You know? <laughs> so I was expecting a table to be there, not like three women. Yeah, and they were all somewhat like an arm's length apart from each other. So she kind of just managed to slip right between them. Um, which then, which the idea was like she takes out all of them, everybody's down except for Indy. Indy's too hurt to climb the ladder, but then her kayfabe husband, he shows up, puts her on his shoulders, lifts her up to the heavens. She pulls the title belt down. You watch NXT every week. Who did you think was going to win? going into this pay-per-view? Um, I thought it was going to be Tiffany Stratton. That seemed to be the consensus I saw online, was either Roxy gets this really big babyface moment where she gets out of the hospital and she wins the match anyway, or you use her hospitalization as a chance to put the belt on Tiffany, and then Roxy is once again in chase mode, chasing the heel champ. Indy, I keep uh, detailed statistics on NXT. hasn't won too many matches. Like, I think I celebrated when she won her match last Wednesday. So, like, yeah, I yeah, definitely that was like her first win in months. Yeah. And I keep, like, de- I've been keeping detailed statistics on NXT going back to day one. So I can tell you, statistically speaking, nobody on the NXT roster at the moment has appeared on more episodes of NXT than Indy. Like, she's, like, the longest tenured on NXT right now. So you would think we'd be having conversations about, okay, when is she going to SmackDown? When is she getting the call up? Instead of getting the title at this point in time, when, like you said, she's been losing a lot and like, doesn't feel, didn't feel very like heated up to me. Yeah. There was really no push for her coming into this match. Yeah. Yeah. I don't How long ago was the way that was like a year or two now. Right. But the, Oh, yeah, because Johnny and Candace got fired <laughs> in between that. Yeah, but then we had, like, mo- like two or three moments on this show where it was like, hey, remember the way? Mm-hmm. Look, it's them. They're back <laughs> together again. They're all winners on NXT once again. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I wasn't nostalgic for that. That, that wasn't so far away that I felt like. It wouldn't be, like, Gargano and Ciampa getting back together or something like that. No, but if they do and they take on Kevin and Sammy, oh. That'd be something. Yeah, like I um yeah, I was definitely impressed with um Tiffany Stratton in this match. I thought um I thought she did great. You know, I thought Indy I thought that was the best indie match Indy has looked in a match in a long time. I thought Valkyria looked the coolest to me. Like she had the she had my favorite look. I just think she looks really interesting. Tiffany still like this is my first time seeing Tiffany Stratton. I thought, yeah, she looks like every she looks like all the others. (laughs) <laughs> you know, from the gear to the hair to the entrance, I'm just like, okay, yeah, like, I, I get it. I, there's a, there, girl. There's the role <laughs> to be filled, sure. Yeah, yeah but I thought Valkyrie just looked like a badass. You know what I mean? Like, 
even if you didn't know who she was, like, as soon as you saw her, it's like, yeah, that girl's a badass. So Gigi and JC, they continue feuding. They got unfinished business. Indy's the champ. She could be defending against Zoe, I guess, against Tiffany Stratton. How Roxy fits into all that is a question mark. You would think we'll get, like, a, the the mandatory rematch, one-on-one, Roxy and Indy. But, uh, yeah, obviously the first question, the first thing we ask, especially this close to WrestleMania, is is Perez getting, like, hot-shotted to the main roster? Is she going to show up on Raw or SmackDown this week? I don't, the person I've been thinking about is Jade. Because she hasn't really been on TV that much lately. I think she's injured yeah. right now, I read. Oh, okay, that's why she hasn't. Yeah, okay. that's why Cora's not around. But then who knows, Cameron Grimes has been AWOL for like many, many months, so you never know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, Roxy, I don't know what they would do with her. You know what I mean? Or like where she would fit. Because the... um. Yeah, the WWE main rosters, they're still kind of stuck on that, you know. We have our top four or five people, and then, like, everyone else is kind of, like, background music, you know? Yeah, it's Blair Oscar and the Horsewomen. Mm-hmm. Well, we had one other match on the show featuring women. It was the NXT Women's Take Titles on the line. Fallon Henley and Kiana James defending us. Alifire and Isla Dawn... Um, here, here's some stats in terms of uh, the women's take team titles. This was only the second time Alba and Isla have ever teamed together on NXT. And this is only the third time Fallon and Kiana ever teamed together on NXT. <laughs> so this is a division where, honestly, imp- for everything we praise about Impact, they tend to do this a lot too. It's like a team will form and then they win the titles in their second match. We literally just saw this on impact like this week i think and we saw here tonight same thing alba and isla and the second match new champs i didn't really understand why kiana and fallon got it to begin with um but i mean i think they were probably just a placeholder for for fire and dawn because i could see them with a with a much longer reign the brits they could have just taken them off of katana and chance is that their names? Mm-hmm. Chance and Carter? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> they could have taken... <laughs> I didn't research for this episode, folks. They could have just taken them off of them, but I think, yeah, they wanted to give Fallon and Kiana something else to bicker about before they finally implode and turn on each other, which will be any day now, I guess? Yeah, I guess. They've been, they've been teasing it for months. Or maybe Kiana's secretary finally, like, steps foot in the ring and you got a new take team there. Or do they, like, have the the boys break up, too? You know. Who knows? These love, these love quadrangles go in so many different ways. Will Kiana's mystery boyfriend, Sebastian, will he show up at some point? Will he be somebody? Somebody else from NXT UK? <laughs> <laughs> many questions there. Yeah, Alba and Isla, considering they got... Their, their coming together as a tag team was weird because like they were feuding and then all of a sudden one week they were friends. Out of, like, yeah, that didn't yeah that didn't make much sense. But I mean like I'm not complaining because I think they're a great tag team. Yeah, they're clicking now and every time you every time I see Alba Fire, I'm just like zero offense to the other women on this show, but she's a step above them. 
Like even the best the best women in like the ladder match, the best woman in that match is like a seven. Like Alba's like an eight or nine. Like she's so fluid. She's so from the from before the match even started, she just seamlessly like jumps on the top rope and flies off with a swanton onto the opponent's at ringside. Like she just makes everything look so effortless. Yeah, and it's Ladon's been around for a long time too, and she just I think they both like are really good at like their characters too. You know what I mean? They can just, um, whenever you, whenever they come out, you just like know who they are and what they're about. Yeah, women's tag teams are in short supply, so whom they feud with now, where, where they go from here, who knows? But yeah, you know, all, the only thing that they are, they had some double team moves actually, which I liked as well that they've already established those. So the only thing that they're missing from me right now, so they got the look, they got the double team moves, they got the history. All they need is a team name. Yes. Give me that team name, and then I'll believe that they're a real team. <laughs> that they're going to be around for more than a yes. couple of months. If a team has like, if a team is being introduced and there's an ampersand involved, I'm like, mm, not a real team. <laughs> so that was it, I guess. That was Stand and Deliver. NXT's next big show is they announced it. I didn't pay attention. It's some, sometime this summer. Yeah, but obviously WrestleMania. This is WrestleMania week, and we have been known to see. Big debuts and call-ups the night after WrestleMania, the SmackDown after WrestleMania. So any of these women, maybe not any of them, but some of these women could definitely be in that conversation. Yeah, like I could even see like someone like um, Tiffany Stratton getting called up because, you know, they're really they really love her look, you know, and um, she's gotten a lot better in the ring. So that that honestly wouldn't surprise me. And obviously Roxy. God, there was a lot of wrestling this weekend. There was. <laughs> Some of it I even got to like watch with you, which was so fun. That was fun. Yeah, we got to watch um, on Friday afternoon. We got to watch the first show from the collective of that day. Um, Jimmy Lloyd's Degeneration De- F. What does yeah. what is Degeneration F mean? I have no idea. Right. But, like, yeah, it's typically like younger younger wrestlers. Yeah, and that one was a lot of fun. Um, mm-hmm. I always, it's the, always one of my favorite shows of the collective. You know, it was fun to check in on, like, because you're right, it features the younger guys. Uh, I think you and I were joking about it, though, that it was, like, a lot of skinny white twinks. <laughs> <laughs> not literal, like, not actual twinks, but, you know, like, not a bottle of self-tanner to be found amongst <laughs> these uh, young men. But uh, not a ton of women's action on that card, I don't believe. I'm trying. I'm racking my brain. Was, was there any? Was there? Um, any? Yeah. Was that with the Sandra Moon Kenzie Page match? Yes, it was. Yes, it uh, was. I like. That, I think they're both to be huge stars. Yes, me too. Um, I love seeing Sandra Moon at GCW because I think she gets to. Um, I, I think she gets to do this in other promotions too, but with Sandra Boone, it's fun to see her do, uh, get to be in slightly more hardcore matches. And we got to see her in a couple of GCW matches. Um, we got to see her against Steph Delander uh, later in the weekend um, at Big Gay Brunch. And of course, we got to see her against Kenzie in this one. Um, and also, they were not alone. Uh, there was one other, I think one other woman on the card as part of Best Pros. We got to see Mesa Ruka with her, with her adorable partner, uh, Baliaki. 
And they were in like the last, I think the main event, the like four-way tag scramble. Crazy, amazing match. That one was so fun. So, <laughs> so fun. I mean, if anytime you can get Best Bros into the mix, absolutely it's gonna Best be. Best Bros solid. with Bang Bros. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, a lot of action there. That that whole card, I think all the matches just like kind of went by really quickly. It, nothing really overstayed. There were a lot of like really fun, crazy spots. Um, did that one open? No. Spring break opened up with the big scramble that had Billy Starks in it. It was like the brass ring ladder. Oh, match. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, did you watch Spring Break? Yeah. Okay, so something I'm forgetting. What were they what was the ladder match part of it? Was it was it just like a table, a doors, ladders and chairs match? It wasn't there wasn't actually anything at the top for them to grab, right? Not that I remember. Yeah. I I'm, I watched it like kind of like fading because uh, mm-hmm. by the time it was airing here, it was 11 o'clock and I'm an old lady. I like mm-hmm. to go to bed. Um, so I remember there being ladders and being confused because I was like, I don't think they're going up the ladders for anything. There's just ladders. And it didn't occur to my like tired brain that, oh, it's just a, it's just a TLC match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, because they called it the, grab the brass ring. And in AEW, the brass ring match is literally a ladder match with a giant ring hanging over it. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but Billy made uh, one of her many weekend appearances at that show. And also she was amongst the mix um, at the TJP show. So lots of like good moments for, for our good friend, our friend, Billy Starks. Um, but what I really wanted to talk to you about, Dot, is that you... Um, in addition to watching collective shows and the uh, TJP show and a bunch of other things, you watched a ton of Circle Six. Um, Circle Six was fun shows. It was very much like had the like punk rock DIY feel, um, whereas like the collective had like the more polished and especially like the WrestleCon, you know. I was, I think, in the Globe Theater. So, like, those ha- those shows were a little bit more polished, whereas the um, Circle Six gave a little throwback to the, um, the maybe, like, the pandemic era of, like, the outside, you know, DIY punk rock show feel. So I thought that was super fun. Um, and, you know, they had, like, um, their Circle Six, so they did have, like, a bunch of... Um, like death matches and stuff like that, but um, my when but um my favorite match um of their shows um especially like as of the women was um Alice Crowley versus um Haley Dillon versus um Johnny Robbie, which was at Vinnie Massaro's Pro Wrestling Combine. Um, they, um, they've been really focusing on Big Al. Big Al won a, um, a scramble match on one of their shows and had a, um, very good match with, um, Vinny Massaro himself. So, um, I think she's going to be, as far as the women, it looks like she's probably going to be the main focus on Circle Six. So, um, and I obviously have no problem with that. I love Big Al. She is great. Um, and she is um, a little bit different than most rest- most female wrestlers, at least. She's still very young. She's like 19 or 20, I believe. But she, she's um, got some bulk to her. Um, she's a very strong girl. 
um, tall girl, very strong. So um, she can definitely stand in there and um, trade blows with people like Benny. And, you know, like it's not like totally unbelievable or something like that. So I think that's great. Um, Johnny Robbie, she she very much impressed me this weekend. She opened up. She was actually in the first match of the collective with mm-hmm. um, Heather Monroe and De- Delilah Doom. And I thought that match was really good, too. And yeah, I really enjoyed that match. I got to catch that one. That was at the um, first show of the collective that was Santito Bros. So that was like their their uh, training house uh, hosted that show. Mm-hmm. That was, and I had never, I don't think I had seen her before. I was told that she was in WoW. Ah, but I don't know if I've seen her. Because I, I don't have the exhaustive WoW knowledge yeah. that um that Lindsay has <laughs> um so i'm still kind of catching up on who is who so <laughs> it's very possible that she is in wow um mm-hmm. yeah we think that she is jo- she's robbie rocket mm-hmm. yes okay so probably have come around her at some point but mm-hmm. uh when you're in wow that's the wow reverse mm-hmm. it's like, being in, like the old chikara universe like that's mm-hmm. completely different than everything else you do Yes, 100%. It's different rules. It's a different, it's a different personality. It's a different character altogether. Um, and, it, and, and as we've talked about when we talk about WoW, those characters belong to WoW, not really the, the women who are in those characters. So like, for the most part, when you're playing Robbie Rocket or you're playing any character in WoW, you're playing a, a pre-designed role that has existed before you. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. And not, not in every case, but a lot of times. Or like you're playing you're playing a version of that character that existed at some point prior. There's like, there's a couple of examples. This isn't a wild, this isn't a wild focused episode. So we don't want to talk about it, but like <laughs> it does kind of explain why like seeing Johnny Robbie in these matches over the collective weekend, over the uh, WrestleMania weekend, um, it felt like, it felt like seeing a wrestler for the first time, because mm-hmm. if I have seen her in WoW, I didn't see her doing this. Yeah. Like being herself. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed what I caught of hers because she was in a couple of, she was on the Circle Six Circuit. She was in a couple of shows there. Um, she was in the three-way with with Delilah Doom and Heather Monroe, who I just, I, we don't talk enough about Heather Monroe in this podcast, but shout out to Heather Monroe for being great. <laughs> and She is like so great and like at everything. Yes. Like she can do amazing promos. Like some of the videos that, um, her and Raylan came out with are just like hilarious. Uh-huh. And not to like compare her directly to her tag partner, but like she has the same quality that Raylan has, which is, yeah, in addition to being incredibly talented in the ring and understanding her character, she is, yeah, she is absolutely gorgeous. Like mm-hmm. she is very, very telegetic. She looks great on the streams. She looked great on TV. It's kind of insane to me that she hasn't been signed by any of the major companies. Even like you know, some of the, the like second tier guys, I don't I haven't seen her in. And I'm just like, who is going to make money off of Heather Monroe? Right. <laughs> you can make a ton of money off Heather Monroe. Like she can be in the ring with absolutely anyone, you know, from like Lucha to like just um like Matt Wrestling or anything in between. And um she can look good and make her opponents look good. So what else did you catch this weekend, especially in like the deathmatch style? What else did you catch? 
Well, we had um a pretty pretty big event over on the other side of the country. Um, ICW had no holds barred forty four over in Jersey, and the, the match that was announced was Lefisto against Mickey Knuckles. Now Lefisto has not wrestled a death match in a very long time, so everyone was just kind of expecting like a hardcore match, you know, like. Nothing too crazy, but, you know, they start setting up for the match, and, oh, there's some light tubes there. Oh, you know, there's some doors and some other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Her and Mickey had an absolutely insane match. Um, It was like it was 2010 again. You know, both of them are, like, complete legends. And, um, yeah, they just went out there and had, to me, the match of the weekend, you know, like, I was screaming from my couch, getting goosebumps, all, everything in between. (laughs) This was one of the longer matches on the card, too. I mean, ICW, uh, with their, with the style of match that, that most of the wrestlers do within ICW, like, those matches lend themselves to kind of slightly shorter times usually like 10 or 10 minutes or under but this one went over 15 and that's a lot when you consider what was happening in this match um yeah like Aunt Mickey's amazing she's the best everyone loves her and um Lufisto <laughs> is she, I mean she just looks like she's in the best shape of her career you know she got that Benjamin Button things going on or something i don't know but she's she's amazing and <laughs> then um the next day um lufisto had a um match with casey kirk which was also incredible we had the um light tube chairs going on um casey gave um lufisto the face wash with the light tubes lufisto was bleeding a lot out of her face um so and then um casey gave i mean mephisto gave casey a like suplex through the light tubes it was pretty crazy but then of course you know casey's husband comes out and interferes and casey got the win but um it was another you know absolutely amazing matchler for lufisto and um just kind of like a um Similar to um, Lufisto's match with um, Sawyer, Sawyer Rack, it was kind of like a passing of the torch kind of match. Yeah, Lufisto's been, I mean, on this retirement tour, theoretically. It seems like the, it's been like five years. I do, I, I am on the record of saying I never believe a wrestler when they say they're going to retire. I mm-hmm. don't, because I don't think they do. But on this current wing of this so-called retirement tour, she is uh, getting all the heavy hitters that are currently on like hardcore and deathmatch scene, um, especially like really doing a great job getting over so much of the young talent that is out there. Um, yeah, we got to see her against Sawyer this past weekend. She was against Casey. And of course, <clears throat> lest we forget, earlier in March, she uh, was defeated by, uh, you know, a, a surprising new uh, addition to the queens of deathmatches, uh, queens of hardcore. Uh, one, Miss cutest in the world, Maki Ito, who uh, not only did we see, did did she face Lufisto 
um, in GCW at the beginning of March, but also uh, had a surprising tag partner this time around at uh, Joey Janela's spring break. Yes, um, she tagged with um, the king of the death matches, Nick Cage, and she and they faced um, Bussy at um, that was at spring break, right? Yes, it was. It was at spring break. Um, it was uh, the rare moment where Bussy was not the most popular attraction in the ring. I think they were actually getting food too. Yes, they were absolutely getting food. And then as as the tides turned in the favor of Maki Death Kill, um, and the pizza cutters came out, uh, they were very much be their tormented torture at the hands of Nick Gage and Maki Ito was very much being cheered by the crowd, which is just such an unusual thing to see. I don't think throughout the rest of the weekend, the crowd was behind Bussy uh, 110%, but in this particular match. There's just no beating the crowd appeal of someone like Nick Gage partnering with Maki Ito. I mean, that's pretty much like the two most over wrestlers like in the world, right? Like you can't <laughs> not cheer for either one of them. Yeah, I mean, Nick Gage in GCW might as well be like they're like a god. Like he is the entire room is going to stand when he's around like that. Mm -hmm. He just, his presence gets everyone whipped into a frenzy. And then you throw into that mix, someone who has the like unchartable charisma that Maki Ito has, and then you partner them together. And it's this pairing that like is beautifully odd and works so well, even as visually like your brain can't entirely process it. But there were moments during this <laughs> match where it was like, it was just so lovely to see like Nick Gage and Maki working together. It was wonderful to see her coming out with like a bandana around her face. And at one point at a pivotal moment in the match, Nick Gage produces not a pizza cutter for himself, a pizza cutter complete bedecked with bow for his tag partner. It was it's just the cutest pizza cutter in the world. The cutest pizza cutter in the world for the cutest wrestler in the world. Um, finishing off the match, of course, they, they defeated Bussy. I feel like the crowd would have rioted if otherwise. Um, <laughs> and then giving Maki the, the chance to get the crowd completely over on her side by getting everyone to, to shout MDK all fucking day. Um, the whole thing was just a delight. You know, is this like the most technically proficient match I watched all weekend? No, but was it absolutely maybe one of my favorites that I have watched recently? Yes, because it was just nonstop fun, nonstop like crowd pleasing spots. There was pizza cutters galore, lots and lots of blood. This was maybe the third in a long series of blood stained matches for Effie, who just spent the entire weekend with a crimson mask, it felt. Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't see a ton of Nick Gage throughout the weekend, so this was a nice way to have him part of this weekend in a very memorable way. Yeah, I mean, it seems like um, GCW's been kind of, like, selective with the amount of time they, they use um, Gage. You know, he's getting a little mm -hmm. bit older. But, um, yeah, that, that they've been... Um, Maki has been part of MDK for probably a couple months now, I would think. Mm -hmm. Um, she had, um, her tryout match against, um, Allie Catch, where Nick said if she won, she would be part of MDK. So, um, she won that match and, um, now she is full gang affiliated. Couldn't, couldn't ask for a cuter addition to the gang. Um, <laughs> and then finally, I feel like we need to shout out 
um, are my favorite of any collective weekend, my favorite happening, the the show that has uh, start to finish probably the, the greatest variety and like most diversity within its showcase. Um, I haven't gotten to watch for the culture yet, so apologies, I can't speak on on the matches there, but that's another one of my favorites from the weekend. But of course, both you and I got to enjoy another round of Big Gay Brunch hosted by Effie, complete with Wonder Woman. Okay, and and of course Effie bleeding. And of course Effie bleeding. Yes, more more Effie blood, more <laughs> more Steph Delander barging in and telling everyone how disgusting they are. Um, how how much fun is Steph in GCW? We're going to talk about GCW and its women um, in a coming episode, but like it just felt really cool to see Steph like in the mix this weekend. It felt it's, what they're doing with her um, aligning herself with Matt Cardona and like coming in as this kind of like snotty interloper. It has every bit of personality and like verve that th- this actually very similar storyline in AEW is kind of lacking. Um, but it was great to see her in a variety of matches. She made her match debut at Joey Janela's spring break. And of course, at Big A Brunch, she had a actual like scheduled on the card <laughs> match against Sandra Moon. Yeah, her... um. So they got together. They both won um, championships down in Australia with a World Series of Wrestling. So they kind of like got together there. And then um, whenever they debuted at AIW, that was um, SDL's first match in America, or at least, you know, this trip. Um, And then she aligned herself with um, Cardona there too. So I think they're a great team together. And um, SDL is amazing on the mic. She is a lot bigger than you would think she would be. You know, she's um, definitely not a little girl. She'll, she can throw some punches, throw people around. So she oh, she's, is. She's a beast. I mean, just comparing mm-hmm. her to Masha, it's mm-hmm. incredible to like, Masha has big energy. She has tall person energy, but then you put her standing, her standing like at Steph Delander, and it's almost comical, like the like the disparity in size. Now Steph is particularly tall. She is particularly like built up, but even just against someone like Masha, who carries themselves very tall and very big, like it's a stark contrast. Yeah, yeah, and um. Yeah, I liked I liked that like little quick match that they had with um you know SDL like wasn't even in her gear or anything. So yeah. you know, we got the built-in excuse there. So um I would love to see it again. Yeah. I'm I'm guessing we probably will see like a, a more official official match between the two of them, leading to an inevitable showdown between Masha and Cardona, possibly. It'd be fun. But at the brunch, we got to see her defeating Sandra Moon. We got to see uh, another of our GCW favorite ladies of the moment, Sawyer Wreck, defeating Kid Bandit. That match was a lot of fun. There, I, there was a keyblade stuck in a head for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of doors. There was a... Inc- okay, so just to shout out someone who I had not seen before and really had some great moments. There was a incredibly fun uh, East Coast versus West Coast 10-man tag match on the West Coast side, backed and managed by Pollo Domar in, in full Wonder Woman gear, looking gorgeous as always, Pollo. Um, there was Abigail Warren, who I, have not, I don't think I've seen before. 
Yeah, I've seen her on like um a couple West Coast shows. And um, yeah, I love her. She's a beast. Oh, <laughs> she's so fantastic. And I gotta say, it was really fun to get like, you know, I, I just I love a badass big girl out there, like like knocking people over and rocking people out of their socks and like it was great to see her in moments with Dylan McQueen, who was in full shithead mode. The East Coast really was like playing the heels here, uh, which made a lot of sense given where this was based. So the West Coast got to seem like like true heroes. But I will tell you one thing I was not prepared for. I had not seen the big uh, haircut that Ashton Starr has done. So uh, mm. when, when I did first, not recognize Ashton. No, when they first came out, it was like, wait, Ashton? No, no. Uh, yeah. I, have to, I have to bring up one more match. Okay, we got we to gotta talk about one more match. One more match. Did, I'm assuming you didn't, but did you catch the main event from Emo Fight? No, I didn't. What did I miss? Oh, okay. So it was Janai Kai against Sandra Moon against Brooke Havoc. <laughs> Janai, oh, my goodness. Janai Kai was amazing as Emo Janai Kai. She had like her hoodie on with like the hood over her head and just like envision an emo Orange Cassidy. And that's what Janaka was basically. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was it was it was very entertaining. I would definitely recommend checking out that match. This this was on Friday night, right? Yeah, like late Friday night. Late, late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see Janai Kai defeats Brooke Havoc and Sandra Moon. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, <laughs> thanks to my Fight Plus subscription, plug, plug, plug. I um, now can go back and watch this. I tell you what, like, I got the greatest deal in the world because I was not subscribed to Fight Plus. I got myself a free seven day trial and was able to watch all the collective stuff, um, you know, essentially for no money at all. But I've been won over so much and like, I'm enjoying the fight interface so much. And I like that I can access things like GCW on a consistent basis. I like that I can access, I don't know, like all black all the old AIW shows. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, it makes sense to maybe stick it out because it's only $7.99. I don't know. We'll see. If I don't get much use out of it, I'll, I guess I'll cancel. But it is. it was really fun to be able to just watch any and all of the collective and not have to make the choices I usually have to make. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you had as much fun this weekend as I did. I kind of need a wrestling break at this point, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I mean, think you got to watch the day after WrestleMania Raw, right? No, I'm going to go get a root canal instead. <laughs> oh, hey, quick other shout out before we wrap this. I got to say, loved so much about Big Gay Brunch. But what really sold it for the at-home audience, such as myself, was the commentary from Veda Scott and Val Capone. They just did a marvelous job. Um, both of these commentators are always great on the mic, on commentary, but it, their energy together is just so fun and joyful and infectious. And it felt like getting to like hang out with friends and watch wrestling. So thank you, Veda. Thank you, Val. You both did just a tremendous job really bringing the action into just a, a fun and uh, clarified way. So I just, I love them as a commentary That's it. That's our show for this week. 
sorry if we did not cover the greatest women's match that you saw this weekend. We still did almost an hour and a half, and we barely scratched the surface of all the quality wrestling that happened this weekend. But it is. It's our Super Bowl weekend. The Super Bowl of wrestling is beyond us. We can rest for a couple of days before we get back to it. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, or Patreon at Grit Glitter Pod. If you support us on Patreon, $1 a month gets you a, a weekly newsletter written by your friends in the Glitterati. $5 a month gets you the Grit and Glitter archives. The complete run of Talking Honor, our pre-Grit and Glitter Ring of Honor podcast. Season 1 and Season 2 episodes of Grit and Glitter, which are now unavailable anywhere else, exclusive for our patrons. And bonus podcasts. We just last weekend posted the 10th episode of Women's Wrestling Entertainment, a series where Emily and I trace the history of women in the WWE. This is our 10th episode. It's an hour and a half long covering the WWF women's division from 1989 to 1992. So much good stuff. I'm really proud of this series that we've been doing. I've been researching my ass off, diving and finding all the answers I can as to why women were hired when they were hired, why they were fired when they were fired, why storylines didn't lead to matches, and so on and so forth. I'm really proud of these. If anything, put up the $5 one time, one month. Go listen to all 10 episodes and then unsubscribe for a couple of months. I'm cool with that. I just want people to listen to these 10 episodes of Women's Wrestling Entertainment because I think it's some of the best work I've ever done as a wrestling quote-unquote journalist. Next week on the show... M and friends will be taking a look at the revamped women's wrestling happening in GCW. For a long time, it was just Alley Catch and a bunch of dudes. But lately, there have been a decent number of women in GCW. And they're going to look at that and see what exactly that's all about.